My name is Hala Mohideen. I'm the host of the Outworth podcast, and I'm also a subscriber to The Ferret, which is an award-winning investigative news site. And we're very proud of our new partnership with The Ferret. They're delighted to have us too. So much so that if you go to theferret.scot and subscribe using the code out with 19, you'll get a third of an annual subscription and you'll get three months if you choose a monthly subscription. So that's three months free or a third of an annual subscription, all by using the code out with 19. It's a good deal. You should check them out. The ferret are great. We're very proud to be partnered with them. Enjoy the podcast. Welcome to Out With, the podcast that takes you beyond the headlines and beyond our borders. I'm Hala Mohideen. Now, one of the challenges I've had working in television is finding images to illustrate uh, certain stories we cover. And one of the hardest uh, stories to, to illustrate, in my job at least, is homelessness. Now, this is a story we feel is very important. And whenever new data is released, such as uh, press releases on the number of homeless children rising, for example, we do like to include this in a general news bulletin. But it's a real challenge finding the pictures to match it. So frequently, shots of people sleeping rough on the streets of a large city get used. Now, it's not ideal. It's often cliche and oftentimes it misrepresents the problem of homelessness. But just how pervasive a problem is it? And what about our attitudes towards homelessness themselves? Now, I was chatting with a friend of mine about this in the pub, as you do, uh, when he turned around and told me that he himself had been homeless. Now, I found this quite staggering as he's, you know, reasonably young rather dapper, uh, and uh, firmly middle class. He's also carved out quite a successful career in comedy and television right here in Scotland, and in no way conforms to this stereotype of a homeless person that we would usually see on, on television. It was a real eye-opener for me and has helped me challenge my perception about how virtually anyone can fall into the trap of homelessness. And he's very kindly agreed to share his story with you as well. So, James Devoy, thank you for coming and welcome to The Kitchen. Absolute pleasure, Hannah. And we're also joined uh, this evening by Karen Goodwin. Karen's a freelance journalist based here in Glasgow, and she writes extensively on homelessness and other social issues. So thank you, Karen, for, for dropping in as well. Thanks, Helen. Um, let's, um, James, we're going to start with you because it was your story that really kind of I mean, I'll be honest with you, I was absolutely shocked. I thought you were lying to me to start with. <laughs> yeah, you honest. did, I remember. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> what a load of rubbish. I do remember we were half cut at the time when we had this conversation. I think I was probably more than half by that point. But it's yeah. not a competition. <laughs> it really isn't. But, but, but no, I mean, this is, you know, you know, we laugh and joke about it, but it, it is. It was, it was a real shock. So, you know, because you do not fit the stereotype of someone, we, you know, of a homeless person. So how... It's not that I don't remember everything that you said to me when we had this conversation, but just refresh the memory. T tell us about your story. How did you end up homeless? Uh, well, I suppose how, how it actually happened, sort of a long and varied tale of a selection of bad decisions and odd things happening in my home and being that unpleasant 16-year-olds, I want to leave home, and then you do, and you go, actually, I'm really bad at this. I wish I hadn't. And then my parents being like, well, too late now. 
And I found myself in a situation where I had nowhere to go, which isn't ideal. But mm. uh, I went to the social work department and then went into sheltered accommodation and uh, sleeping in. At first, I was in trying to stay with friends, sofa surfing, and then I ended up in a squat, which was quite good fun when you're 16. But now looking back, I'm like, oh, miracle you didn't die. Yeah. And then I ended up in, uh, in, yeah, in sheltered accommodation. And I was under 18, so there's a lot more pressure on finding people under 18 uh, shelter for the night. Not always great shelter. Some of them are pretty scary, rough places to be. Um, and eventually ended up in under eight, specifically for under 18s mm. shelter, which are also strange places. Uh, it's strange they exist, to be honest with you. I mean, Well, yeah, but you've got that odd sort of, that break between when you're legally allowed to leave home and when you're really an a, considered an adult by the law. So you've got these 16 year olds who have potentially left and had kids even, some of them, or, but perhaps they're a little bit too vulnerable to be, to be put in with you know, seasoned old people, perhaps with substance abuse issues. No, there weren't plenty of substance abuse issues for under 18s as well, but you know, I think that's the theory. And they put a little bit more pressure on social departments and people like that to find places for them. And then eventually it was hounded in a thing they call supported accommodation, which mm -hmm. is effectively a flat, which you, I'm air quoting, get some support in. Um, I didn't find it particularly supportive, but mm -hmm. it's got rules, so it sort of balances out. And there are pros and, as it transpires, quite large cons to being involved in that system under 18. And, uh, and yeah, so that's sort of how it happened. Yes. What's it? I mean, were you going to school at the time? Oh, no, absolutely no, so not. So you were, you were School's out. School's for losers. What are you talking about? <laughs> no one needs education anymore. I didn't have to go back in my late 20s with my tail, which was going, can I do an exit course? Go back to uni, please. Yes, well, it works for some, doesn't work for others. But, um, it's, but so, so you mentioned that it's, well, you know, that's challenging, a challenging environment. But I mean, it, it's hard for me to picture. What, what was it like? I mean... It's quite hard because I look back on it, and oddly, I look back on it with quite fond memories because I was 16, 17 years old when it started. Mm. And I was quite wild. And I sort of had this idea that it was an adventure, that, you know, this is what adults do. You know, these life throws you these problems and you just take them on the chin because that's what grown-ups do. Now, as an actual adult, I would absolutely fall apart if that happened to me. I mm -hmm. wouldn't know what to do. But at the time, I thought it was an adventure, but also just constant disappointment and fear that I had not grown up expecting to have. So when I first moved into Stopover was the name of the under 18 shelter I was in. The first few nights I was on the street and then then I was in... Uh, you were on the street? Yeah, well, yeah, I just didn't go to sleep. It wasn't like I was like, yes, yeah. technically if I was, if it had been a long-term thing, that wouldn't have worked. But as, yeah. it, as it worked then, I was like, I'll just stay off, I suppose I've got nowhere to go. Yeah. But um, but I, I got in there through the social department, found me a place at, at the access point in Edinburgh, which is on Leith Street. And that's general population. Anyone can be there. And you get given this little room, which is fine. But you hear people sort of screaming up and down the corridor. It was very intimidating for a 16-year-old. Mm. And then they put me into um, this under-18s place uh, where you share a room, which I hadn't done in a long time and found that a bit weird. But uh, the first guy was a nutter, a real nutter. Mm. Um, you have to be in there by 10. So he would come in wasted uh, just, just before 10, then fall into my room. we get locked into a room together where he'd just chain smoke cigarettes. And I smoked at the time as well. And even I thought, wow, that's a lot of cigarettes. And didn't know at the time it's because he was really high. Mm. And then um, he left. 
And then I got another guy who just got out of prison. Huge guy. Like, I was 16. This guy was apparently the same age as me. He looked like my dad. Mm. Look a hard life, this guy. Covered in tattoos, put porn all over the walls like it was a prison cell from porridge. And then he gouged someone's eye out like three days later. So he went back to jail. Oh, so that was good. Lord. And they gave me quite a nice guy called Danny, who I was friends with for a long time. Um, but uh, that was that was the first week. <laughs> and then No, I think that was the first fortnight. And then I had a normal guy who was in with me for quite a long time. And then I got this sport accommodation flat. But on, I thought it was kind of an adventure. It wasn't until I was sort of quite far into the process and I realized there was no way out. There was, wasn't, there was no happy ending where this sort of gets worked out and everything goes back to normal and I go, yeah. get to go back to normal life. Like, it, it, this trajectory I was on, I realized after about a year, there was no way to get off the train that wasn't just straight back to the start. There was no... And then he gets a job and he walks off to the sunset and he finds the girl that all works out well. That was... that. From where I was looking at it, that wasn't the case because I had, I had to sign on to nice. get this support and accommodation. That was the rules you had to sign on. I remember my social worker saying, you can't get a job because no job you could get could afford to pay for this flat. And there's no way to save for a deposit or anything like that. You're, you can't get a job. There's one under 18s uh, doll officer in Edinburgh, because obviously you're not supposed to get it till you're over 18. So it's a very specific job. He hated me. And, uh, and he, kept try he keeps trying to get you a job, which yes, is his job, but also, you know, don't be an arsehole about it. Like I, mm. He knows that I would get thrown out in the street and straight back into the start and lose my job. Mm. So that's a tricky thing. You sort of turn into spud from train spotting. You have to go to all these interviews and not get them. Yeah. And when they're sending you for like pot washing jobs, they're like, you seem like a nice young guy. You could do that. And you're like, mm-hmm. I'm a racist as well or something. What could not get me the job? Because I really can't, I can't get a job. So that's quite tricky. And you sort of end up becoming sort of like a scam guy. You're constantly looking... To ways to, to ways to fankle the system so you don't lose your head. But while you're doing that, you don't evolve as a person. You know, you never learn to clean up after myself like that because I just had this party flat that no, none of my friends had a flat at 17. Uh -huh. They could come around and there was no one there to stop you. And ultimately, this is ticking clock because as soon as you hit 18, you're out, which is what happened to me. I, I hit 18 and they literally let themselves into my flat while I was asleep on the sofa and I signed off like my own eviction notice and that was me done. And there was no sort of, oh, where are you going? Oh, I'm going here. All right, bye. And I was very lucky because a friend of mine uh, said, come and sleep on my sofa for, and I was there for a few months. And then by the end of that, I managed to get off and went to college and sort of sort things out a bit. Crikey. But, uh, but my actual memories of it aren't, aren't shoot, there's lots of positive times I remember because everyone was in the same sort of boat and it was nerve wracking, but, Certainly in the show, in the in stopover, they were quite they were quite aware that perhaps I wasn't their average dude in there, and they, so they sort of tried to find me someone who wasn't going to be screaming and going crazy mm. the whole time. And so I think you know they they did look after me a little bit, but uh, I don't think I'd handle it quite as well anymore no. than I did then. Well, I don't think even if I was that age, I would have handled that well because. I can almost in a way see you know when you're younger the, to try and see the adventure and see the, the you know the the I don't know if that's a, a way of coping with it but it just it just seems so terrifying there is no security and like you say like when you hit 18 the the, the shutters come down and then you really are I mean well, you must have been the start. yeah if, if, if I hadn't found anywhere to go afterwards I would have gone back to access point but I wouldn't have had the advantages of being under 18 so I'd have had to go into the system that way right. which can still potentially lead you to bed sits and things like that but I think that's the path where you still can't it's not easy to get a job I'm sure mm. there's 
ways of doing this. And I should say, this was quite a long time ago. This was yes. Yeah, so the system may potentially have have changed yeah. somewhat, but but the but yeah. I mean, if I'd gone back into that system, I don't think. I mean, you know, and even the guy who I really like, Danny, who uh, I should have room with, got addicted to heroin a year after we left there. Yeah, and good lord! I bumped into him quite recently, and he seemed okay, but he didn't have any teeth. He had a lot of kids, and you're like, okay, man, we all made choices. But he, he had a job again, and he was doing okay. And you know, that's, I'm happy to see that he did all right. But this, yeah, you know, he he got he sim had a similar path to me, and there, but for the grace of God. Yeah. Um, so, so you managed to. I mean, I guess the, the the sort of the answer to the story of the Olic is like you know you're 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 doing well now, James. I mean, <laughs> no, but I'm not doing that badly. I'm doing poorly for an adult man, but only because I'm not very good at this. You're one of these creative types. You're yeah, one of these yeah, creative types. It. it should be said. So for, for for listeners who are joining us from outside of Scotland, James is actually um, you, you've been doing a, a, a web TV series, yeah. a satirical comedy, um, for, you know, for a number of years yeah. now, and it's you know you're bit, pop up all over the place. You do pop up all over the place, and you're a bit of a well count face, and you're something of a cultural icon. I mean, I'd serve, uh, <laughs> that's, I'm getting on a t-shirt. Yes, <laughs> and I'm still waiting for my merchandise to to, to come. It's my through. merchandise, so I'll give you mine. Right, but the you know, and this and this is why for me there's that such there's that 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 contrast. You know, the contrast between the you know the perception of homelessness and and you know the the person you are, and you know, it just shows that you know anyone can kind of oh, i think it, it could it's just a blip it can it happen it to doesn't anyone matter. i mean it could happen to me again you know should a check get missed and i've got nowhere to go yeah you know if you've not and i think a thing about being young as well which makes it more dangerous potentially is if you don't have a large family mm. or they're not terribly close you've not got friends you know nowadays i go i've got nowhere to stay but all my friends have flats and they could mm. potentially at least let me sleep on the sofa or something yeah. like that or spare room but back then there's nowhere to go if your family says no your school friends can't say yes. You can be, oh, it's fine. You can stay at mine. You, you've really got nowhere to go and it becomes yeah. quite dangerous. And the other thing, when you're in this situation, you're not working or you're doing whatever, it can be incredibly depressing and you quite easily fall into having a bit too much to drink. You have nothing to do all day. Why not get drunk at the start of the day? Yeah. You know, you, and as soon as you start doing that, it becomes very hard to find shelter accommodation. I'm sure you run into this, you know, when you see people, why people end up, a lot of the time, it's substance abuse issues is why you don't get in there. Then you're kind of screwed because there's not there's nothing there to help you, or there certainly wasn't back then. Yeah, um, it is one blip can just oh you're done. That's yeah. it. You, for whatever reason, it's fallen apart a little bit too far, and hopefully you don't end up in the situation I was in, or you can get out relatively quickly. But if you do, there's not a lot. There's not a lot to be done once you're in there. You managed to get the situation. We'll talk about that in a second. But Karen, I mean, you've been, I don't know if you knew James's story before. Um, I didn't, it, no, but, no, I didn't. So, I mean, you you write a lot about homelessness. You write a lot about social issues. Um, big fan of your work, I have to say. Um, what's your reaction really to James's story? I mean... Yeah, I mean, I'm really sorry to hear that. I mean, it, it probably, you know, you kind of make light of it now and say it was a bit of an adventure, but I'm sure at the time it was it was pretty hard. Bits of it, certainly, yeah. I guess I see a lot of people who who don't get out of it so easily. Um, so as well as writing about journalism, I also do and have been doing for about four years a workshop at the Lodging House Mission, which is um, with a group of um, people who are mostly now in their sort of, 50s most of them hmm. um and who have been in and out of homelessness for many many years and I suppose what what they say a lot of the time is I was homeless 20 years ago one particular 
member of my group. She's fantastic and makes me laugh. And has got an incredibly dark sense of humour. It's incredibly well read. It's incredibly intelligent. But he was first homeless about 20 years ago. He was homeless, completely homeless, as in street homeless, again, quite recently. And he said that what he found was that the system was so much harder this time yeah. than it was, you know, back then. It has changed a lot and there's a lot of, I guess, a lot of, a lot of work, particularly in, in Glasgow, although in lots of other places, going into trying to make systems better. Mm-hmm. But it's there's a lot to do as well. There is, and the, the system element interests me a lot. So my sister, and uh, she's... Uh, she, she she's a filmmaker and artist and does an awful lot more for society than I do. She volunteers at a a, a night shelter for for homeless um, failed asylum seekers, and it's you know which I thought was, I was like that's a very niche um, you know very niche group yes. yes, and it's and and it, but it's it's crazy because you, you talk about how you know these people might have had their you know their asylum documents re- refused or d- there's just no other safety net that they can fall back on and it's sad you know she comes back with these stories of these people who are many who have mental who have mental health issues um many who have you know with other substance issues but a lot of them have just been you know they have fallen through those cracks and the bureaucracy and the system is almost kind of fighting against you. It was, you know, it was interesting hearing your story, James, about how you're, you know, battling, you know, you're trying not to get the jobs so that you would still have the security of housing, which is sounds like such a contradiction. But, you, you know, sometimes bureaucracy can very much work against the individual, it seems. Mm. I mean, I've, I've done a piece in Edinburgh about, and there's a, there's a real shortage of housing in Edinburgh, so a lot of families... Um, over the last year have, have been put into to B&Bs, um, sometimes sharing beds, um, sharing small spaces for long periods of time. Um, the council set up a homelessness task force and, you know, they've got lots of, of, of kind of, you know, great words and commitments to to try and change that. But the reality is, you know, that's that's been the case. And I've spoken to women who've had to give up work, um, partly because of, of the the financial difficulties that you talked about, they couldn't possibly pay the amount for the flats mm-hmm. um, that they need to. Um, and other people, when they've still been in B&Bs, who've had to give up work because they might do evening jobs or early morning jobs that don't work with the curfew. So they're actually physically not able to... Because you're under curfew, that's crazy. Yeah, I couldn't do my work with that with the hours that they would set me for that place. There wasn't, there would be no way. So, yeah, again, the same guy in the, the, the group always says to me, you know, they, they kind of, you know, prisoners, children and homeless people. Those are the people that we set curfews on. Golly. Um, when they're in B&Bs. So, and a lot of the time in B&Bs, the staff aren't trained necessarily to deal with vulnerable people. So you're having people arrive traumatised, potentially fleeing violence, um, potentially with post-traumatic stress. Um, You know, you've got a situation in Glasgow just now where, you know, a lot of people are are dying from, you know, um, uh, fake valiums and and things like that. So you've got all sorts of trauma unfolding (laughs) in, in places with vulnerable people and, you know, not an awful lot of support 
And and how long would so so these B and Bs, these beds and breakfasts? Normally, you think of a B and B. It's like a quirky hotel guest house where you can have you know you would go for a a weekend away and you'd stay in a B and B. But it seems like this bed and breakfast industry really is the you know they're housing. Large chunk not of bed and breakfast either. I mean, they, yeah. it's what they're called, but they're not what you imagine so, when you went. I, I went to the Cotswolds for a long. Yeah, time. no. So, 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 how, I mean, if when when a family, I mean, this is what so councils and local authorities when they will try and re, you know, temporarily house someone in a B and B. I mean, how long w- w- does a person get in a bed and breakfast? Typically, I mean, is it well? So, there's under um, Scottish housing law. A family should spend no longer than seven days in a B&B. Um, but that's breached all the time, particularly mm. in Edinburgh, because they just can't get people out fast enough. So um, the ferret did an FOI into the number of families in B&Bs for longer than seven days. And, you know, it was, there was over 500 breaches or something like that in, the, in, in a 12-month period. And, and in fairness to Edinburgh City Council, they're sort of holding their hands up and saying... Yeah, we know it's a problem. We need to do something about it. Yeah. But the housing's not there. Um, so they may spend months. But, I mean, people, I mean, certainly I know people that have spent over a year in a very small room where, um, you know, they can put their hand out in the morning, put a kettle on, mm-hmm. um, and there's a wardrobe at the end of the bed. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's not much space for anything else that you might and it's not your space it's not your space and you can be evicted at any time um you could um uh you know be evicted for being noisy for um for having your room in too much not keeping your room up to standard uh, you can't you look constantly living in the present tense this, yeah. this is what Absolutely. you would have experienced one of the th- i remember when i was in uh, sport accommodation i was like regularly told to i couldn't have in the house like this like oh such and such did something wrong within this organization he can't come into your house mm. i wasn't allowed to have guests to stay over which you can just ignore because no one's checking that much but you know when you've got that sort of that idea that there are rules like mm-hmm. this is your flat but you can't have anyone come and stay yeah. you can't drink you can't do any drugs that's all right but you know there's this huge list of things you can't do and you're like well it's not really mine is it? it's not i mean there's nothing and also like even when when it happened you know they just they literally came in used a key came in made me sign my own eviction forms while I was asleep. Which sounds kind of illegal, to be honest. Yeah, probably, whatever, but they can also throw you out for no reason. So it's, you know, it's that thing like when you work in a bar and they go, oh, you didn't ring last orders. Don't need to. Yeah. I can make you leave now if I want. So yeah. you've got, yeah, okay, it's probably shady. And if you ask them, they go, well, that isn't technically what, well, we actually, we did ask you if you're awake and you said, uh, so it counts. So like, well, and when you're that age, or effectively powerless and very used to being powerless, by that point I'd been bounced through the system for a variety of ways for about two years. Mm. So you're quite used to people going, oh, we said that would happen, but it's not going to. And you're like, all right, well, I'm not shocked by being let down by another person who said they would do something. And you have absolutely no faith in the system by this point. So when someone says, no, this isn't going to work, you're like, okay, well, I suppose I'll just, you know, littlest hobo with my little knapsack out the house then, and that's all you get to do. And you just get on with it. You know, and I was very lucky to to get out of that situation but with a friend of mine's largest, but... Uh, so easily, if that hadn't been, if, if if he specifically hadn't said yes at that time, mm-hmm. I probably would have had to have gone back. And once you start again, it's just, and over 18, it's just going to be another cycle until it doesn't work again. And what sort of effect does it have on your, your I, I don't know, your self-esteem? I mean, I know you put the very brave face on it, I, but having your own space really matters. It, it's a, It's a very... 
it, it, it's a calming kind of, well, maybe for me, perhaps, <laughs> but, you know, having somebody you think, you know, I can go here and then I'll be safe, you know, this is my space. And that has a kind of anchoring uh, certain feeling. And the reason I ask is because I know when I, um, it was a, f- a few years ago when I first moved uh, to another country for work, I was, you know, sofa surfing with a friend until I could find my own accommodation. It's incredibly difficult to find accommodation in Paris because you don't have the right paperwork. So I was, you know, had a good job, was earning good money, but I didn't have an address, so I couldn't get a bank account. I didn't have a bank account, so I couldn't get an address. And it's that sort of catch-22. And it, it, you know, I had a good job paying good money and I was stressed and anxious about it. And it took a long time to get settled. Well, I think the thing about homelessness is very well named because it's a lack of home. It's not necessarily a lack of a house or a roof or four walls or whatever, or even a bed. It's that you just don't know, you don't belong anywhere. So you're like, okay, fine, well, this is shelter. Mm. But that's not, yeah, it's not enough to survive on when you're a human being. You know, we're social animals and you've got this thing. And it definitely stunted me in a lot of ways. Like I say, like I didn't take, even once I was in my own flat, I didn't take it very seriously because I said, like, well, this could just go away. And so I didn't pay your rent. I said, like, well, why bother? You're just going to take it. It doesn't bother me because in, you know, and so, well, yeah, I drank it, whatever. It doesn't, I didn't, you didn't clean up. No, it's just smash the plates. It's, you know, all of this is temporary and ephemeral. It took me quite a long time to get over this idea that things don't just go away when you're not paying attention. And I think homelessness is the thing. And, and I get why you see pictures of people on the street, because most people, that's the interaction you would have with homelessness. People aren't walking past bed and breakfasts and going, oh, well, that's where... You wouldn't believe the number of families crammed into these tiny little box rooms in there. No, because you can't see them. But someone's asleep in front of H&M, and you're like, well, they shouldn't be asleep. So fine, whatever. Or putting up those things that stop homeless people sleeping somewhere. You know? Yeah absolute prick has to be like, oh, I'm going to put up stuff so you can't sleep on the ground at night. Mm. It's the ground. They're already not keen. They're not like, oh, that's a great place to sleep outside in the cold in Scotland. Yes. The, um, but you, so yeah, that, that people see that. And I've had, it's come up quite a lot, especially since, you know, working in TV and in news and things like that. And people go, well, that's a story. Why don't we talk about homelessness? And the reason quite often is because middle-class producer has seen a lot of homeless people and they're like, oh, why is that happening? This is the very tip of quite a complicated iceberg. Yeah. And not seeing a problem. And I saw quite recently there was something on TV with a journalist who I wanted to go out and did go out and spend a night sleeping rough in Glasgow with people and say, what a shocking discovery you made. It's rubbish. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it is rubbish. Also, It I- is rubbish. Uh, yeah, I mean, I also feel that they could actually ask homeless people themselves what they think. But also, I think the, the thing about even even by seeing people who are on the street, I mean, the estimate is only about half of the people who are you might see in the street during the day are are mm. street homeless, mm. won't have somewhere to stay that night. Um, so the, the complication of adding that later begging in, and those mm. people may or may not be in other temporary accommodation, likely to be in some kind of temporary accommodation. I can't think of how many times as well, like if I'm out with friends or my mum or something like that and one in the street and they'll see someone having a big issue and you'll get I bet they're not really homeless. Right? <laughs> well, they've not got a great job. I wouldn't worry about it. Which has yeah. become a really worrying part of the rhetoric. Yeah. It has, hasn't it? Yeah. Look at his shoes. He's got two nice shoes. He can't be homeless. 
Yeah. And is that because of our perception of, you know, homelessness as someone who's is a person who's sleeping on the street? So if you see someone who's, you know, perhaps not as destitute as in your Charles Dickens imagination. Yeah, I mean, I think it's political. I think there's a definite attack on people who, you know, so you create a deserving and undeserving poor. I mean, mm. James is completely right in that homelessness can happen to anyone, but it's still much more likely to happen to you if you come from a background of deprivation. Um, if you don't have all the network of family and friends, if your family and friends already have substance misuse issues, if they've got mental health problems, um, you know, as you grow up, I see incredible solidarity around the people, for example, in the Lodging House Mission, who will help each other out when they have nothing. I mean, mm. a number of times I'll leave my mobile phone lying on the table and someone will pick it up and give it back to me and say, keep that safe, you know. And, mm -hmm. and people are really supportive of each other, but they've all got less. Whereas, you know, they don't necessarily have a spare room that you can sleep on. Although lots of people have told me that, oh yeah, that so-and-so, I used to let them sleep in my in my sofa, in my temporary furnished flat. Or... So there is still a great kind of um, inequality that's absolutely built into homelessness. So how do we, I mean, the, I imagine there's lots of things there's no one thing that causes homelessness. I mean, it's it's a much more complex problem than than initially most people would would believe. It can happen to anyone. You know, there's 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 so many things that can can cause an individual to be an individual or a family even to to to, to become homeless. Do we need to understand what's behind it before we can attempt to to turn it round? I, I don't see. I don't know how to. You always want to fix something, you know. You want you want to fix it and make it right. So yeah, yeah I don't. I, I think it is. It's there's too many ways for it to happen to try and preventatively step in because quite often, you know, if you can see it coming, mm. you can take steps to prevent it. It's the mm. surprises that get you. But that's one of the issues actually right there. So one of the incredibly um, frustrating things for some of the mothers that I was speaking to in Edinburgh is that they would get an eviction notice and they would sometimes get up to two months notice on their flat. So they would phone the council and the council would say, that's fine, just come back when you're homeless. Mm -hmm. um, and so they would know and they would sit this whole time and then so the van would arrive to take their stuff into storage on the same day as they were meant to be sitting in the housing office. Mm. And all of this would happen at once rather than a preventative approach. And so some of the recommendations that came out to the Scottish Government's Action Group, um, and there's a whole set of recommendations that have been accepted by the Scottish Government, was to put preventative measures into, into the law, basically. So that's one really kind of key thing that we could do, is to do a lot more in terms of prevention and to actually act when people know that there's going to be a problem down the line rather so than wait a, for it to hit. Like a systemic, so it's something that needs to happen within the system. Yeah, I, yeah, sure. But also just a recognition, I suppose, within casework teams and people that are seeing people that that it's not okay just to sit and wait until yeah. someone's in crisis. Uh -huh. That's become so normalised, I think. Do you think there's, there's there's much more of that now? We're just waiting until it hits the right sort of, where you can press the button, okay, okay, now we can do this. Now we can take the actions, go to the next step. It's just, I think it's always been like that. And I, I think it happens not just at that level, which, which isn't how I ended up there, so I didn't know, but there's certainly other parts of that system where I would be there and they go, oh, it's okay, we can flick that switch or push that button now. Oh, that's happened there. What this is on. I ended up with a disproportionately good flat after because they messed up. 
Mm. And they were terrified that they'd messed up and perhaps I could have done something about that. But I went, fine. Well, you know, I'm not shocked. But um, but you're only allowed to stay for eight weeks in these shelter things. And I was there for 10 by the end. And they were, we just have to find them somewhere mm. because just mistakes happen. But it's absolutely like, well, it doesn't matter. And I said, well, this is insane. Like, it was a crazy good flat that they gave me. I'm like, I don't. There's no way on earth that this makes sense for me to have this, but also I'm not capable of looking after this. You know, this is a grown-up adult man. I couldn't look after that size of flat now. Mm. And it and I, I moved because I was this is too much. But there was and then you get that thing of like, well, you can't leave. There's nothing you can do to leave now. There's no I could have gone into education, but with no, you know, I could have gone and done a college course or something, but that would be all I could have done. But again, you've got no travel money. So the idea of getting to college or anything like that, you've got no food money. So I would get, this is before the time of food banks, but you used to get food parcels. So you've got very little energy going about your day because you're not eating well. You're not, you know, as a chain smoker at the time, everything everything I got went into fags. Mm. And it's just that, and you just, you know, you you just live moment to moment, second to second. They're like, oh, we'll think about the future. And I was like, I'm not that confident on the weekend yet. Yeah. So it's not. Uh, well, you're just, just trying to get to the end of the day. You yeah, know? absolutely. You can, uh, but, but the, but you do get into this thing where you, I just there's no way out. So once you're there, you you cannot, or at least I never figured out a way out of that system except support from out with that system. And that doesn't sound like a system that can possibly that's not functioning. So what the what the aim is to do is to introduce housing first. I don't know if you've heard about housing first, which is in a model that started in quite a lot in the states and in Finland. They use it really successfully. So it's a, a, um, Finland have kind of really massively reduced homelessness by the very simple thing of giving someone a flat from the first from the first day they're homeless and putting the support around them that they need rather than as you say going through this system this ladder step by step where you're stuck and you fear at any point falling off and ending up like a little going down a little snake mm. right straight back to the bottom so the idea of housing versus it will give you you know, the flat where you're going to stay and where it's going to be a home rather than just yeah. a house. Again, you know, we've still got quite a long way to get there. Yeah, because where do you get the housing stock from, really? It's, uh, I mean, that's a massive challenge, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, all of the local authorities in Scotland should now have an action plan. I don't know if they do or not, yeah. <laughs> but um, they should all, they're all signed up in theory. Uh-huh. But as, but as you were saying, you know, you're working with people that are 50 years old and they've mm -hmm. been in the system for a very long time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. If, you know, I'm not saying that there aren't always people out there like, I don't want to get a job or get a house. And I, I you yeah. know, no one, yeah, okay, fine. That's everyone's got choice and these things happen in any system. Yeah. But if there's people who are like, I, do, I don't want to live like this and you are, then, and you've been doing it for 20 years, the system isn't working. If you yeah. were like, I'm keen to get out of the system, I would like to have enough money, rent my own flat and settle into that. And for no fault of their own, they haven't succeeded in that. And we've got a system that is supposed to be supporting them into that situation. And they've not done it. Mm -hmm. The system is broken. That's like if you go to school for 20 years and you're like, oh, I can't read. <laughs> Why not? Oh, I just, it just didn't come up in the last 20 years of being at school. And I said, well, it's not a very good education system then, is it? You know, these things, you know, if the system is there to get us out of these horrible situations and it doesn't do it and instead just keeps us repeating it, which costs a fortune. You know, yeah, the system fortune. is costing a huge amount of money and at the end of it, it's still broken. You know, why, you know, this is, it seems crazy to me. So in terms of how we tackle this, I mean, does, does this kind of, these kind of solutions, do they have to come in at a governmental level or is there other things that could be, that could be happening. I, I remember 
about a year ago, or there was the, the big drive for there's a, a, a social enterprise, Social Bites was they organise a big sleep out charity and all this, and, and one of their solutions uh, was you know people with a spare room could open up. This summit came when I interviewed, um, you know, to, to help take in a homeless person for a night. I mean, it, are these kind of small actions? Are these a I'll, I'll say That's, as well that was not the only solution yeah. that they gave. I'll be very clear. They did, the social bank do. Housing, yeah, uh, they do. They do a lot of work, and yeah. I, I think is um, they're very committed to you know they're really rolling up their sleeves and 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 doing this kind of thing. But when you you see this this kind of problem, and it's not nice walking down Byers Road and there's you know you're just lined with it's people. In Glasgow, you're right. Yeah, well, just, well, let's leave the Glasgow Edinburgh for another time. Edinburgh's got bigger homes. But it's, you know, it's not nice. And, you know, you do want to help. You know, you do. You, I mean, where does the where does the action have to come from? Is I think, I I don't know how you feel, James, but I feel really strongly that people need to to stop thinking about solutions and listen to homeless people themselves. Because I think there's a lot of, of people who really genuinely from their heart really want to help. And that is really great. But also they need to ask what people need mm -hmm. and to act in solidarity with them rather than do good for them. Because right. I just think that's what will change things. Actually listening to people like James who are experts in it, who know how it feels to be homeless, who know what they need who know the system in a way that none of us know. I mean, the things that people tell me, the depth, the, the detail. And you would walk past those people and not give them the credit for who they are and what they know. And that's gradually changing. But I think stopping and listening would be like a really good start. I think there's a lot of it's It's clumped together in a lot of ways. You know, you've got social workers coming and going. So I was a fairly young, you know, well-spoken, if not educated guy who was I'll, I'm quite happy if, you, if I'll work if I get a flat at the end of it but I can't work and live in the flat you know there's you know conversations but they're utterly frazzled trying to deal with all these things at the same time seeing other stuff and all you know it's this huge pile of issues and children and families got a massive remit the social department it's got a big remit to be trying to deal with something if you make it all into one thing, if you try and homogenize it with every other issue that can run into it, it becomes far too big, far too um, sort of huge uh, problem to try and deal with. And actually, you know, stories like mine and the research you've done into it and things like that, you, you start to split up and go, well, it's not necessarily, you know, th these aren't insurmountable problems that we're looking at. They're just not the same problem. And if you use a one big brush to try and clear, mm. you know, well, oh, we've dealt with poorness and homelessness. It's all done. That's fine. I colored that one in. It's never going to work. But if you take things into, compartmentalize them into what problems can we deal with? I don't think they're that, it's not, I mean, I'm not saying in any way easy, but, the, but they are manageable it. problems. Yeah. But if you're trying to solve society, you're never going to fix that. But if you can go, okay, well, this is X. And then you get, you know, whenever there's an investment, sadly, from the government, you get people going, oh, well, they're just stealing. You know, well, I've got a job and I've got a flat. And so if they've not, they're probably all junkies. And you're like, well, the problem with it is homelessness will, cause you to become a junkie. It's not It's not how you got there. It's what ends up happening when you hit the absolute rock bottom and you've got nowhere to go. I'm not saying cause it in everyone, but I'm but saying it can absolutely... if you can't get help, your mental health. And mental health issues, absolutely. And, and, and that whole and thing where you... self-perpetuating, isn't yeah, it? You can't get help from mental health because they say you've got a drug addiction and you can't get help from and the drug what... clinic because you've got un un undiagnosed mental health issues. And 
that's what gets you thrown out of uh, homeless shelters then as well. You can stay in a lot God. of most places. You can stay in a homeless shelter unless you have a problem with alcohol abuse, violence, or drug or drug abuse. Mm -hmm. And as soon as you get that tick, you're out and you're not coming back ever. So then you're on the street, and then you're not going to turn your life around while you're sleeping on the street, thinking, you know, maybe you're, maybe I should try and kick all that addiction out. That person, that, you know, just, and and they're off the they're off the list. They're off the yeah. oh, how are we going to deal with this guy? We don't deal with that guy. He's not press the button, he's gone. And then people, oh, why have we got people sleeping well, in the I'm not, I'm not, it's not yeah, no, cases, no, I know. I'm just can, saying, you know, like, I just, like I find it really important to say to people as well and to remind them that it's, it's every local authority has a duty to house every single oh, person. I, I'm not saying that. But they, do, they don't always meet that duty. And, you know, Glasgow City Council breached it 3,000 times, something like that. I mean, most of the breaches were, that have been recorded were in Glasgow. Um, but... There is a right. There is mm, there is a right absolutely. to housing there. They shouldn't be able to. And so I think sometimes that gets forgotten when you see people on the street and you think, oh, God, they can't get any housing. There's not any housing. Well, it shouldn't really matter. There's not any housing. There's laws in place, yeah. you know, that, that say that they should be housed. In terms of, you guys mentioned perception. Um, you, you know, the... the you can't paint the broad brush, brush on this. You know, it's uh, there, there is it, there are so many different intricacies. There's so many reasons behind it. Do you think that uh, when it comes to talking about homelessness, and I, I say this, I say the word homeless, and the mental image in my head is someone curled up in a, a blanket in the doorway of a betting shop. You know, that's the that's the stereotype, and that's the imagery you have. Do you think we're doing enough to 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 understand, I say the general public, to understand um, who is homeless, the, the fact that there is no typical homeless person? And do you think that there's, there's a role to be had in the way we treat the story, in the way we cover the story? It's interesting that you say that that's what you think of, because it's what I think of as well. Right. That when someone says homelessness to me, they're still part of my brain. Because I watch the news and I see that's what you get. Someone says homeless, mm -hmm. picture pops up, sad, hoodie, got a blanket, maybe a dog. That's what I think of immediately. Mm. And then I have to take a beat and go, oh, no, that's me as well. Yeah. So even, I mean, it's so pervasive. The way the media has, and I don't, I think it's an easy photo. It's good for very quick visual mm -hmm. storytelling to go, this is what I mean. And it's normally what people mean as well when they say mm. homelessness. They do mean that. Um, that it's it's in everyone's psyche. And I don't know. I mean, I think the story is so much more complicated than you sleep outside. I understand what that would be. That would be horrible. Mm -hmm. But then you get into the intricacies of, oh, you know, you, you stay in a bed and breakfast. Well, I've stayed in a bed. It's not that bad. You know, I've, I've seen some pretty rubbish flats myself. You know, and then you get into this. But it's, it's not rubbish. Yeah, sorry. That's okay. It's not really homeless, is it? And then, oh, you know, such and such is selling the big issue. But I'm sure I saw her up the town the other night having a drink. And you know, it's all these, you know, and then it becomes, I think it's, it's a very difficult story to tell because like everything, it's, it, so it involves people and yeah. it involves so many different people for so many different reasons and for so many, you know, how do you, how do you concisely tell that story without, you know, however long this has gone on for? Do you think that we could be doing this better? Yeah, sure. Of course. Of course I do. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I think, yeah, I think imagery matters and I think, um, some organisations have done really well. It's, for example, some of the Violence Against Women organisations have really mobilised to um, to help public perception better understand uh, things like coercive control being part of a spectrum of domestic abuse um, and violence. Um, 
by creating, for example, a bank of images that they've encouraged the media to use. Um, mm. You know, there needs to be, I think, a bit more of a proactive push on, on always talking about different types of homelessness. I guess the difficulty for the media is you tend to cover the you tend to cover crisis because of the way news agendas are set mm. and so although there were 35,000 homeless applications made and about 2,000 I think roughly had been sleeping rough in the three months before they made their housing application so it is you know disproportionate but those are those are the stories that really kind of are about crisis and mm. uh, and you know you end up with more media coverage, so it's it, it's, it's a difficult, difficult. It is a one. difficult one, and 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 I speak as, and I know there are, there are many different types of media. So you have, you know, obviously print and radio. Then that's that's different. But in television, you know, it's all about the pictures. And whenever we do these stories, I mentioned in the the introduction, you know, none of us likes getting these press releases saying the amount of homeless children before Christmas has now gone up X percent. Mm. And, you know, you know, we want to talk about it. We want to be able to, you know, we want to be able to get these stories out there. We want other people to care. But when you are working in television, how do you do it? That's the, you know, unless you've got like a really slick graphics team who can try and do like a really nice animation, which is hard to do at quarter to five in the morning. Um, it, it is a challenge and it's, and especially because certainly a lot of newsrooms, certainly the newsroom that, you know, newsrooms that I've worked in, not just here in the UK, but worldwide, you don't have that much time at your disposal and you often don't have the, the, the resources you'd like at your disposal. And so you're trying to... You're trying to tell these stories. You're trying to, to to help, you know, communicate these things. And oftentimes, yes, it is in crisis. But, you know, we want to do better. I mean, that's the the, yeah, the, the end sure. thing. It's just, you know, and how? You do, and, and you do need to invest the time yeah. in order to get people's trust and, you know, and, and give people a good experience of being involved in media and give them, give them more agency to be involved in that in order that when you need them like that, mm. They, they will say, yeah, come to them. Well, it's when you were saying there about, you know, seeing the number, figures for homeless kids before Christmas, so horrible, but something I have noticed that the media has tried to tackle in different ways is food banks. Because mm. when we first started hearing about food banks and they became a sort of thing, you're like, oh, that's for, you know, super poor people and the homeless and like soup kitchens is what we all thought. And then yeah. over time it comes out and says, no, there's a lot of people that work too, you know, too... Yeah. Parent families full working full time who are going to the food banks all the time to get what you know to get enough just to survive, and I think that's that story shows every issue where people go, oh, it's that, oh, it's it's a soup kitchen, it's a modern day soup kitchen. Do yeah. you expand that out to being no, no, no? This is everyone, and I think it's similar with homelessness. If you think that homelessness is people on the streets, then you get this tiny little bit. But if you get this whole thing going, that's good. This is everyone. This is someone who's lost their house. Like you say, families are. Outside, and I think if people went, families are homeless. You no, know, if you could see that, people go, oh, well, that has to change. You can't have toddlers running Absolutely. about with mum and dad in this tiny little room. But if you think of because again, the stereotype on the is street. one individual. Yeah, one guy, not, uh, you, you know, know, young, you know, quite often like sky in his twenties or something like that, with a badly written sign, looking miserable, and yeah. and people are like, well, I wonder if he's really homeless. You know, even that guy who's sitting in the rain outside, you're still like, but maybe not. Uh -huh. Actually, this, this this problem is far bigger than that. And when I was there, 
you know, I'm the, I'm, I'm the, the best possible person to be in that situation. I've got, I've, I've always had this voice. I, you know, fairly middle class, normal guy. Mm. This isn't going to be that tough for me to get out of this. You know, the worst comes to the worst. Mm. I'll probably get away with this. But so, for so many, it's just, it's just never, you know, it's not going to be. And did you meet a lot of young people in care when you were at that stage? Because that's the other thing. I mean, particularly 20 years ago, the law would have been that you would have left care at 16. Yeah. Still, um, people leave care was, about 17. When I was mm-hmm. in stopover it wasn't some there was a few there were a few people that had moved to the city because they were in trouble in other cities gosh there were a few people that uh one there was a couple that were pregnant but they couldn't sleep in the same room because it was an under 18s place even though i'm fairly confident they probably had sex at some point previously (laughs) unless it's jesus but i doubt it uh there was some yeah there was a variety of people that just come out of prison as well uh i think people had been in care but i hadn't had anyone that had come straight from it and in probably because they just organized Mm -hmm. They didn't have to do that interim stage when they were coming to the end of their care. They probably organised them to go on to, to something. Um, it, it didn't happen to be that way, but I think there were only sixteen of us in Stopover at the time. And I remember looking into it for a story about five or six years ago, and it's moved location and is now far bigger than it was when I was there. Do you think it's more of a problem though? I, I, re- I, I couldn't say. I've not. I've. Um, I, I. I'm shocked by how many people I've. It's come up with much like when we were just sitting yeah. in the pub, and there's other people who are more successful than me or work in a similar industry and stuff like that. And I bring up and go, Oh, that happened to me. And he goes, Sorry, what? And he goes, Oh, yeah, it goes almost exactly the same story as you're yeah. describing happened to me. So it's certainly more common than you'd think yes. in groups of people that you wouldn't expect it from. You know, you yes. were surprised because it hadn't come up, but I can think of five people who, in a lineup, you'd think we all fairly similar jobs coming from the same background who almost exactly the same thing as me happened to it's just one little mistake and then you got to get through it that's crazy and it's and you'd never know who they were you know i know that you know we we have both worked with someone and you go wow that's i had no idea but it's not something that comes up a lot but yeah i think it's i don't know if it's more likely i imagine it as sanctions get tighter and things like that i imagine it'll happen more and more I don't remember what the late 90s, early noughties was like for It's been relatively stable for a while and it's just started to, to this, I think, 1% rise in the, in the latest figures. Mm. It's But, I mean, the, the predictions um, from this some great research that place at Heriot Watt University have worked with crisis and, 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 you know, they're predicting massive increase as we see, you know, continued lack of investment in social housing. Um, yeah, welfare system, as you said, that, that, you know, you've got sanctions, you've got you've got conditions that are so difficult to deal with. I mean, mm-hmm. people being told that they're fit for work when they're clearly not, yes. and then having to spend 35 hours a week looking for work. And if they, if they don't manage to record those 35 hours on an online journal, and they may or may not have IT skills, so, or, or even access, access to a computer <laughs> is the other, the other hurdle in so that. So even just accessing the benefit system, um, you know, there's all sorts of, of things that currently, in the current climate, well, I think are really tough. Saying earlier on, you, you learn to be an excellent liar. Yeah. And that's not a great skill to give to people is become mm-hmm. a consumer bullshit artist because you've got these problems where you're like, and you know, so oh, I missed the thing. And harder than it was. Oh, yeah, yeah I'm sure. Know. You know, there was no computers when I was doing it. No one was dumb. It was, I wrote it in this book. I have bad handwriting. I'm sorry. Yes. And then they said, oh, okay, fine, whatever. 
But uh, yeah, it's true. The system is certainly in the in the UK. It has become there have been some significant changes um, yeah. with the the benefit system. We talk about sanctions, so this is a, a penalty that's applied if you're found to not be, you know, looking not for not contract. complying with your contracts. But it could be that that might be that you missed a call on your mobile phone telling you that you yeah. had to to phone the job centre back and you didn't do it within the allotted time and that was automatic sanction or it could be that you're told to go to a particular job interview and you know you were five minutes late because your bus didn't turn up or yeah. you know it's or, these little things which you're are not ill you know, enough to be signed off ill and then you die you know this is <laughs> how many times have we read that story recently yeah, it's going, yeah, yeah. this person was deemed fit to go back to work and immediately died yes. because they couldn't go back to work and you're like well what Who's checking that? Yeah. And it's not like, oh, you know, they had a gammy leg and they fell over. It's like, no, huge heart failure on a massive scale because they were... So there are systemic issues. Karen, do you think that a lot of the changes that we've had in the benefit system is contributing to to homelessness? Is this something that's... I mean, I've not looked specifically at that issue Mm. on on an anecdotal scale. I suppose the people that I've been working with most closely, I see... I see them really struggling. Mm. Um, it's kind of heartbreaking to watch that. Yeah. Um, and I haven't really interviewed anyone who's, who's, when I've been working on a homeless story, who hasn't had some kind of struggle with benefit systems. So I think they are quite linked. Yeah. Um, it just seems like such a, just an enormous struggle. And, and when you're in this vulnerable space, because... You know, let's not kid ourselves. If you find yourself in that situation, yeah. you're enormously vulnerable. Whether and just you're having young... to have all your paperwork and you've got nowhere for that to be. Yeah, it's an absolute house of cards. One thing goes wrong, and especially now. I, when I was younger, it was easier. You could go and you could just you talk to a real person and you could try mm-hmm. and win an argument. But nowadays, they just can't do that. You can't do it. I try. I remember trying to sign on in in twenty gosh twenty eleven or something. This is even you know. We had computers before then. universal credit, but you had to. This is before universal credit, which is the big shift, and you know, just trying to. Fortunately, I was staying with my mum and my and my father, so I had access to a phone. But you know, you're sitting on one of these automated call lines that charges I don't know how many pence per minute. It wasn't a cheap call or a free call, and you're sat there pushing buttons then to fall on an answer machine, or the call gets cut off, and you have to start again and you have to declare yourself seven days before this and even just being faced with those you know this is you know just signing on for benefits was was enormously challenging and when you're feeling vulnerable like that nobody wants to be claiming benefits no one wants to be reliant on uh, well it's part of the, 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 the state well. but so if you're at work i work freelance if you're at work you have to sign on so that you get your um national insurance mm. so it's not like i'm like oh i'm desperate for the cash but you need to have the full national yeah. insurance thing signed up so but it's an hour and a half bus ride from where i was living at two buses an hour and a half and that's yeah. so that's four buses there and back that's quite a lot of money when you've not got any money it's yes. nearly a tenner on the bus and it takes an hour and a half to do it yeah and then and so that's really convenient to get to the other side of edinburgh at any time yeah. and also in the middle of the day and you're like i thought oh, you want me to go job hunting no yeah. half past 10 in the morning you're like so Leaving at nine, not going to get any job hunting done till 12. Cheers, guys. It sounds like there's a lot of obstacles. Is there anything yeah. that's happening that's making things easier? You, Karen, you're working, well, you're writing about this, but you're on the front line. Yeah. Is there any glimmers of hope? If I, I think, <laughs> I think there, there are. There I think there 
there are. I mean, for a start, we live in Scotland. Uh Um, You know, we have had groundbreaking legislation in Scotland since 2012 that says that everyone um, has the right if they're, you know, um, not judged to be intentionally homeless um, to be accommodated by their local authority. So that's brilliant. And we're just having, you know, a consultation going through just now about dropping the intention, both intentionality and the local connection elements of that, which would mean that more people had the right to accommodation. We've had Scottish Government having this big review of, you know, asking um, an action group on what they should be doing. So there's political will. That's a good Mm. thing. Um, There's uh, things like Housing First and a commitment to that, which is really positive. And there are people beginning to to sort of recognise the need to hear more from homeless people themselves, you know, people like the Glasgow Homelessness Network have been doing big consultations with people who are homeless and asking them, what do you need? What do you think? Um, so there's what definitely... Do they say? What hopes. do they say? What do, do homeless people Well, say? I think, yeah. Homeless people, all of them, everyone. I, I imagine we <laughs> I very think that's different. the thing. We've been saying this whole time yeah, is that everybody's so got diverse, a slightly different yeah. diverse experience and that I guess what I always feel is that I come away feeling like there's no one, there's no one solution fits all kind of thing mm. and it is about... How do we how do we even things up a bit so that so that you can get the support you need and be listened to without it just being it's, I mean, this is the only thing on offer. Yeah. This is it's a huge drain on society to, to pay and house all these people, which I'm happy that we don't need them, but it's such a hard system to get out of. If if, if we're not investing in the mm. full yeah, you know, if you don't give it the whole you thing out. and get them back out, then this is just a yeah, never-ending you know, half measure. Yeah, it's horrible. Like, it's like I was like, oh, it's a bit of an adventure. It was a bit of an adventure, but it's not like it's I want to do it rubbish. again. <laughs> you know, like, I'm good. That's fine. I wouldn't wish it on anyone. I, was no. like, yeah. I got through it, but there's other things I've done in my life where I'm like, don't even yeah. do that again. I'm, yeah. I'm just like, you know, like seeing families go through it and you of know course, that absolutely. statistically children who are homeless and they're, as kids are more likely to be homeless as adults and you just think, you know, you just imagine your own children, like, you know, leaving in the morning with a bag and not knowing where they're going to go and how that would affect them and, mm. you know, in a longer term. And then you look at, at grown men who who make me laugh so much and who've got all this potential to be living great lives but are, like, rumbling around trying to work out how to have a home. You've got very little <laughs> self-worth. It's very hard to talk to yes. someone. You know, turn around to a new person and say, oh, hi, you know, my name's James. Yes. And, and so what do you do? Well, I uh, stay in shelter accommodation. I don't have a job. Yeah. I don't have any money. Uh, and I've got basically no prospects or a future. So and what do you do? It's very hard to start, <laughs> start up a new friendship like that. So you become institutionalised yeah. and you're, also, or you're speaking to people who are also in the same boat as you. Or not speaking to anyone. Or, it's very yeah. easy to get depressed and just yeah, go, I'm yeah, yes. out. I'm just going to sit and watch TV mm-hmm. for the rest of my life. Yeah. You know, that becomes, I became incredibly knowledgeable about garden bowls over the time that I stayed in my, <laughs> honestly, there was maybe a year of my life where I could talk about garden bowls with like anyone who wanted to set up a conversation about me. I knew everyone's name. I knew like average rankings. That is how lonely you get when you're sitting at home being homeless. Could have been a whole new podcast here. Huh? It could oh, have actually. <laughs> I mean, everyone except me would have hated it, but I would have loved it. <laughs> I could well, really a... get into 2000 to 2001 yeah. 
Gar- in- international garden bowl. The scene may have changed in that time, but this <laughs> is honest, certainly a project for guys, you to take it on. It probably hasn't. <laughs> looking at them, I'm like, that's probably the same guys doing it. Do you know it, what? I've boat, even written a piece about it. I could have been here too. Oh. <laughs> well, well, there's one that we could redo for another time then. My goodness. Garden bowls, eh? I didn't realise they televised that. Oh, yeah. You check out your... Well, I don't know if they do anymore, but... I don't know. They did, they did for that year... Garden balls, then the snooker would come off and changed over to Quincy. Anyway, think I of, remember think it. of the what James could have been doing instead. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. But this is well well, let's look at that because you know, it's you have managed to pull yourself out of it. You uh, well I, I got out of it. You got out I of it. I certainly didn't do you it. Were, my were you were you were helped. So tell yeah. us about that because you know, I I feel we're very you know, this is a rather upsetting and depressing conversation to have. And I'm one of these people that I like looking for the, the sunshine and the sparkles and putting a, a, a nice spin on it. So, you know, well, you are no longer homeless now. Yeah, yeah, that's so, true. you know, let's, uh, let's, I, let's focus well, on that positive. Quite, when, How did you do it? When it came to the end, so while I was a homeless, I ended up in a youth theatre, which was very good at the Lyceum in Edinburgh. Mm-hmm. And through that, I met a lot of nice people. And uh, when it came time to leave that flat, and a guy there, Mike, said, you can come and sleep on my sofa, which I did. And then I went to college. And when I, while I was staying at his house, we both got into college. And because I went to college, it had a, gave me enough money in a grant and uh, and a loan to to move out. And and so then and then sort of life just continued as it as it should have done for your mm-hmm. average eighteen year old. Went to college after what would have been school, but wasn't. And uh, and I sort of got back onto that fairly normal track. And once I was on that, you know. I, built up a relationship with my parents again and things pretty normal after that. But if it hadn't been for him saying, you can come around, I would have had to go back to the ice point. I couldn't have gone to college. I couldn't, I mean, I, I, mean, I could have, but I know I, I, about myself that I wouldn't have kept it up because mm. one of the things about having so little self-worth is you're like, oh, I just won't go. I won't do that. It doesn't matter. None of that matters. Yeah. And so, you know, you get into a college course, you're like, oh, this could really turn my life around. And it would do if you were in a normal, stable part of your life. But because you're not, mm-hmm. You let it fall to the wayside, and then that's over, and then you have to explain why you're not at college anymore, and then there's a funding issue, and all that becomes an issue, and everything becomes very complicated. Whereas with, uh, I was very lucky that uh, basically a guardian angel swooped in and just took me out for just long enough to get, give me time to get my feet back on myself. But I had no responsibilities. You know, it was no problem for me to get out of it by going, I can lift, I can pick up a bag or not even pick up a bag and go and sleep on someone's sofa. Mm-hmm. I don't have responsibilities. I don't have a family to look after. I don't have anyone to feed. I just have to get myself to the end of the day for a lot of other people. And I was very young, so it's easier, far easier to bounce back from that. Mm. Um, I think for other people, that would be incredibly difficult. And even having someone come in and go, you can sleep on the sofa, and it doesn't really help a lot of people mm-hmm. necessarily. But I think it's interesting what you're saying about the self-esteem. And I think a lot of, if, you, if, if the system could get it right, the other thing that, you know, there's so many projects that, that you know are doing really interesting things with with the arts and things like that that actually I think um do massively yeah. and also have a really, really important part, part to play. Yeah, I don't know if you've heard of Cardboard Citizens, a great theatre company who do this lovely model where they tour um hostels with a production. Mm-hmm. You can stop them and you can tell you can go up and you can finish the story and then you can come to a workshop afterwards. And then if you enjoy the workshop, you can come to their amateur theatre company. And when you've done your sort of traineeship through the amateur, you can end up being a professional actor for them and then going back and touring the hostels. So you've got this kind of lovely... Um, an arc. Yeah, arc, which I just always think is such a, 
a nice kind of journey. It's, it's incredible so how yeah. the, the, the arts really can sort of play that that kind of role, like a therapeutic role almost. Uh, you know, you. I think it's there's a social aspect to it that you definitely lose in homelessness. Yeah, yeah you, you become lose that social. Did you feel like you were just a kind of I, I could, element I only in the really, system? Yeah, I only really spoke to other people in it because mm -hmm. it's impossible to describe to someone else what's going on. You know, you feel like, especially, you know, coming from a fairly middle-class background, you talk to the people and they're like, oh, I'm going home to my parents' house because I'm going to have tea. And I'm like, hmm, that's nice. Yeah. I don't think I've got any food, so I'm not going to have any tea. But uh, so you get that, but you also, you become you become quite changed. And I didn't, yeah, if it hadn't been for that, you'd hear. It was effectively just a club that mm. you could all go to and everyone was equal. No one really cared what you're doing outside. And, and that was my social life. But it was like saying the guy who I shared a room with who ended up uh, being on heroin for quite a long time. He didn't. He he became friends with other people that were in the system or had been in the system. Uh, or, and and that's just the path he took. And I was very lucky to go a different direction. Yeah. Um, and and yeah, I think there's a there is a, a real lack of social thing, and I I didn't know about that, but it it's something just the I just go and meet people that are normal, mm. who are not normal, but well, people who are who aren't in, in that system, situation. Who will that talk system. to you as though well, you can just you, be yourself. Yeah, just be yourself, like, have not, a fun time, and yeah, not worry about it. Not have to explain yourself. Yeah, exactly, and again. not and not feel a little bit. You know, there is a lot of shame attached to what where, what is it you do? Yeah, nothing, and I can't. So yeah. stigma was one of the. Yeah. I used to edit a little magazine called The Pavement, which is. Um, it's a kind of resource for people who are homeless, particularly when they're street homeless. So it has got, you know, the, those emergency services of day centres and where to have a shower and, you know, mm. and it's it's produced in London, but also distributed in Glasgow and Edinburgh. And we've set up kind of groups um, of people with experience of homelessness to write and create content. And shame and stigma was one of the main things that kept coming up with the London group, certainly they said... Mm -hmm. It was a thing that held them back. It's a thing that stopped them from asking for the help they needed. Um, the thing that, yeah, that kept them trapped a lot of the time. Yeah, just knowing this help out there, I think it was quite, I was struck by what you were saying, just that it, these activities take you out of the, the daily grind, which is just surviving, essentially, just getting through, you know, navigating a system and, and just trying to ensure that you have somewhere for the night and just being able to let go a little bit. And, and be a, a human bit. like all of us. Absolutely. And you never know these things as well. You know, it's, it's, you know if I'd said to my, my um, doll officer, I'd say, oh, I'm going to youth theatre, you know, you can't do that, you're wasting time. And then you turn and go, well, joke's on you, it's my job now. Yes. So uh, <laughs> turns out that pot washing job in Montpellier is unnecessary. <laughs> Give me 20 years and I will put this half an acting degree to use. <laughs> um, well, I think you've done quite well out of your acting training. You have. I, I rather enjoy your little telly series. It's all series. written down. We do it at an auto queue. It's not hard. <laughs> now, hang on. As someone who works from an auto queue, I take exception to that. <laughs> yes, but I imagine internally you also agree. <laughs> <laughs> and also the fact that a lot of your large body of work is sending up people like me. Uh, so actually, I'm going to stop bit, being so nice bit, to you. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to stop being as nice to you. I'm just really, so we're trying to work off a list of questions here. I'm not sure I've asked any of them. <laughs> um, this has just been completely free form. Uh, but I am aware we've been uh, we've, we've been uh, working. Away. Let, let's just see—is there anything you know? While we try and sort of wind this up, um, 
what, what sort of things do you guys think are, 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 are the most important things that any listener should, should take away from this? And certainly, bear in mind, you know, our listeners are worldwide. Um, I'm very aware we've been talking specifically about the case in Scotland, but I'm, you know, I'm okay with that because I think every country has its own. You were saying that in Finland, um, they, they've been dealing with homelessness quite successfully. America's got a very different system because of its mental health issues. It's very, very different. So, you know, I'm glad that we're focusing on the situation in Scotland, the, the fact that we have preconceptions about homelessness and these things are very, you know, our preconceptions are are just, you know, it don't often correspond to the situation. Um, but in terms of the our discussions today, if there's anything that our, our listeners could take away, if there's anything that you guys think we haven't perhaps touched on that is super important when it comes to this issue, um, what do you think that would be? Basically, what have I not covered in this list of questions? This like slapdash bit of... Uh... So, something that shocks me quite often when I talk to people about homelessness, and, I, and you know, it comes up because it's happened to me, is people don't realise it's been them. We're talking to someone going... Yeah, I've never been homeless. I mean, I had uh, I slept on a friend's sofa for a year, and you're like, "That sounds pretty homeless, man." I mean, yeah. it's, there's lots of times where you go, "That's not good or normal." A lot of people, or I mean, I've known people that have been in supported accommodation, and they've been, "Oh, that's not really homeless," and, but it is, and you did it, and like, mm -hmm. yeah, because of that stigma, they don't want to let anyone know as though mm -hmm. it's because if I say that, they'll think I mean on the street, and you're like, well, people need to stop thinking that. Basically, we need to you stop thinking. You can't that. see people that are homeless. Most of the people you see. Well, not no. I mean, people you see, there's behind every one of those people is five people who have a roof for the night, who feel just as lost and miserable as you can imagine they would. And I guess that the the stigma attaches to a lot of the issues that might make you more likely to end up homeless, whether that's child abuse. A lot of people have been abused as children who end up homeless just because of unable to cope with trauma and self medicating, which leads you into addictions mental health those all all those things are are associated and I think if we don't create spaces for people to talk about things that were not ever 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 their fault mm. that you know because we do tend to think they must have done something to get in that mm. situation well there was it's no therapy a... I remember that about my entire process two years mm -hmm. not a, not a suggestion of do you want to go and talk to someone about this. The only time it came up was that I needed to get a backdated sick line. And they went, just go and say you're depressed to the doctor and they'll, yeah. they'll backdate a sick line for you. And that was the only time anyone suggested that. thinking that you might actually be like, depressed. You know, I, I can probably get this one through. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah. But yeah. yeah, there's no, that's, yeah. Yeah. No, and you're absolutely right, people with. And not to say that everyone who ends up homeless has no. got issues either. It's, yeah. but, but there could be very good reasons why people are struggling to cope with the things that we might all just take for granted as mm -hmm. as rational steps. I don't, I don't know. I think I think educating yourself, mm. trying to understand what might be going on. Just trying to understand it really yeah. and, and widen our perceptions. And, and and like I say, I'm a journalist, I work in television, so I'm very aware of you know the challenges we have in reporting this. I'm aware of the intention behind it. None of this is done deliberately to no, make yeah, people think, sure. you know, homelessness equals X. I'm and the same, I'll have done, yeah. So it's, it's very much, a, but I agree. I think we should be widening our perceptions and, and trying to understand more. And it is so complex. I mean, it it isn't just, you know, someone lying on a doorway. It is so complex. There are so many different layers, so many different reasons why something might happen, so many different 
um, consequences. Um, some people may be affected in different ways. It is, it's such a minefield, but once you get sucked into it, I guess getting out of it is just... Yeah. It's both really complex, but then really simple at the end of the day. We all have a right to home. We all have a right to have good, loving relationships around us and, you know, sort of trying to unpick those layers while not getting too distracted in just the basic, let's do everything we can to, to stop it happening to people. Excellent. Well, conversations such as these, I hope, are some way to going towards, I guess, understanding this a little bit better. I know that I certainly feel I understand it a little bit more. I don't understand you at all, James, but that's just... Uh, <laughs> That is just me, but I, I I do want to say thank you very much for for having this conversation today. It's a bit of a different one on the Out With podcast, but I think it's still, you know, it's important. It's I think it's important we talk about how we're reporting these kind of stories as well. And I certainly appreciate both your honesty, James, you in particular. Um, and if any of our listeners do want to to hear more from our our contributors uh, today, James, you are on Twitter, mm-hmm. JW Devoy. That's me. Um, also part of the satirical news program. So your Dateline Twenty Eighteen. I suspect date- we'll have to change that name at some Dateline point. Dateline Scotland. <laughs> yeah. There are so many Datelines. There were many. They always have Dateline at the start. They do. So what we'll do is we'll we'll, we'll pop some of those. Um, we'll, oh, when okay. we tweet this out, we'll <laughs> pop some of these uh, examples out. It is actually quite funny. We were watching it earlier today, actually, and. Having a good old chortle in the in the kitchen, um, so do check out James's work. It's fantastic. Um, thank you, also, Karen. If you want to hear more from Karen Goodwin, she is on Karen underscore Goodwin on Twitter. Uh, you're also published in the Ferrets. That's oh, yeah. great. That's where, um, and we're big fans of the Ferret here on the Out With podcast. It's of course the uh, independent and award-winning investigative news uh, site. Nosing up the trousers of power, I think, is the tagline there. <laughs> Rather like that, um, and they do, of course, get the scoops um, here in Scotland. Oftentimes before the larger media organisations, and they go in depth uh, in a way that we like to do on the podcast here, which is why uh, we are delighted to be partnering up with them. We love the ferret. The ferret, I hope, loves us. Um, so we've managed to wangle some kind of a discount for our listeners. If you go to theferret.scot and sign up with the code OUTWITH19, you will either get your first three months free or you will get £9 off an annual subscription. And the annual subscription is not really that much. So this works out around about a third off. Yeah. So I think you're doing rather well. It's on a good deal, codes. but it's a good deal even without the discount, Hala. It certainly is. <laughs> but we're pushing the discount because we have a vested interest. <laughs> and we deal with you as well. So, yeah. We've got to pay some bills here, Karen. Um, so do sign up here. Show your love. Show your love for the Outwith podcast. Show your love for the fair. It is a fantastic publication. Um, and of course, it's good to support independent in-depth investigations so uh here here to that we will be back with you uh, very soon hopefully in the kitchen i'll try and drink less wine next time um, <laughs> just realized on camera and it's going to be lots of <laughs> me just chinning wine all the way through that we're definitely having those shots and um, so do it has been great having you with us do remember to hit subscribe uh, wherever you get your podcast that way you will be sure to get the next uh, thrilling installment of the podcast leave us a review as well uh, please leave a nice one that's just to keep me uh, keep me sweet and um, hope to um, chat with you again soon